Hello and welcome to the Amateur Football Podcast. Um, I will want to welcome CEO Sean of Equal Stars to the show. And, you know, we'll be kind of talking about men and men's rights and um, their like, rights to to father their like, kids. And, you know, this is something that I can imagine a lot of men are kind of going through. And Sean is a huge advocate and and he and he kind of puts out so much content about this subject so Sean thank you so much for like coming on that's okay I'm glad to be here I would like love to know a little bit about your story and literally why you decided to start your business equal start I started in 2018 but I was campaigning for like about five years before that um basically from my friends they're having issues with their partner's relationship breakdown. And I said, instead of complaining, why don't we try and do something? So it started off as just two petitions at first, one with the government portal website, and then another through change.org. And I realized there wasn't that much engagement because at the time I was a bit naive. I thought, oh, I just put it out there, put out the facts, see what's happening in society, and people would sign and I'd be able to have a motion in parliament. And then the first one, I was disappointed, I think, for the whole year, I only got like 500 signatures. And I contacted more people than that directly. So I was busy as heart. And then I went away and thought about it. Went and done a bit of research on, you know, social media, um, change.org, and they said the things that you need to get more support around marketing, search engine optimization. So I went back to it. I'd done a second one just before I started EqualStar. And again, even though I got a few thousand, at the moment it's, well, 7,772, but that's over a five-year period. So I realized that to broaden my alliances and circle outside of the people that I grew up with in order to get the buying and the snowball effect. So that's what made me um, create Equal Stop. It's, it's an unincorporated community interest company. So that way I can do it without having to do all the compliance stuff. And I can focus more on the work for the people rather than spending time drawing up policies and having to do the health and safety and the safeguarding that way that being unincorporated, I can continue doing the work without the monitoring. So that's what inspired me to do it. Why do you think men get, you know, like the rough edge of the stick when it kind of comes to um, visiting rights and, and access, access to their kids? It's a cultural thing to breeze. It's a cultural thing. When I was growing up, my first experience with it is when my dad used to have his infidelities and he used to run around. And my mum instinct would say, you know what, I've had enough of you, you're out. So she used to throw his clothes on the balcony when we lived in Stocker Park Estate in Brixton. And I thought from, I remember my first memories of that, like about six, seven. I think, why does she always do that every time they argue? And then they used to shout at each other, a bit of abuse, things like that. So I said, ah, I'm not going to put up with that when I'm older. So that was my first thing. I always wondered why does my mum feel as say she has the power to throw him out anytime there's any argument or he does something wrong. And he when she does something wrong, he doesn't do any of that, even though it's a place they're supposed to share together. Then as I got older and looked into it, you know, the whole idea, the welfare system, social housing is to protect mothers and children, which is to be fair, mothers are usually the resident parent. So the system is there to safeguard them. Because before that, I've noticed when I've done um sociology at college history before the welfare state women with regular unmarried women would be cast out into the street 
where children were seen as, as bastards. So because of the illegitimacy, they were disadvantaged in society. And it's something that carried on the last vestiges of it, I would say, was the 60s, because my maternal grandmother said when she came from Jamaica, because she had all their children and my granddad hadn't married her, she was like put at the back of the seat in the hospital within the NHS. They frowned upon her. So when she told my granddad that, he instantly married her to stop all that. And then the treatment was better. So that is within living memory, these things have still been going on. So I can understand why they created the welfare state to protect women from being mistreated or men being disingenuous or, or fraudulent towards them, saying, you know, for their casual liaisons. And then say, you know what, I'm not interested in you. And how do I know the child's mind before we had DNA testing? So that was obviously needed. But for me, it's gone too far now to the left, where there's a lot of male disposability, they call it, where they're thinking, you know what, you're only valued for the work that you do and what finances you bring in. And it's a whole cultural change that has taken part over like a generation. And now I feel it's out of balance. So with my work, I'm trying to bring back the balance. So it's a case by case scenario and that everyone has buy-in because I tell people regularly when I campaign, so that you complain about misogyny. How can you drive out misogyny with hatred and demonizing people, especially people that most majority of men are not partaking in, in abuse or mistreating their partners or, or casting them out? So I said, it's not like the Victorian times when Emily Pankhurst was burning her bras for the suffragettes. It's not, we don't live in those times. This is the UK. We don't live in Afghanistan. So I said, look, we, we, we need to find a bit of balance. But what I've noticed politically in our institutions, local authority, even in, the, in schools, primary schools, there's this, it's very subliminal, but well, actually it's not very subliminal because to me it's, it's obvious. But I know a lot of people going back to their day-to-day life, they're so programmed that they just accepted that, oh, like women are more precious than men. Girls are more precious than boys. And because of our physicality, we're physically stronger, there's a lot of fear there about, oh, us attacking them or assaulting them and things like that, which I said, but day-to-day, most people, don't come across it. So I've I've seen all these surveys now saying that uh, women um, are assaulted. Uh, 80% of women are assaulted in their lifetimes, like in the office harassment and things like that. So I said, to be fair, I've got no proof of that. And I, I know these studies have done. So what I went and done, done myself is go through academic research and looked at some of these surveys. And the way they used to sample them and get the cross sample sizes, there's only like a couple of hundred people in it. You know, the most I've ever seen is 10,000. So we so we live in a country of 70 million. So I said, that's a big thing to be saying. That is the trend of men in the UK. yeah, Or even Western, the Western world. To say that is definitive. And then I've seen counter research saying that that's not the case. But it's hidden. They would never publicise that to the media. Or, you know, lay people on the street. Because it doesn't fit the current political narrative of violence against women and girls. So I said, by doing that, you're making men feel smaller and smaller, hiding. This creates misogyny. You're not helping it. So what you should be doing is that case by case, we punish men that engage in these activities because I've got a mother, daughter and sister. So I don't like that. I said, I've actually been in trouble in the street defending women when I was younger. Actually, I got in trouble with the police one time when I saw someone hitting their pastor. I said, what are you doing? And then I was doing the superhero thing, which I shouldn't have done really. I, I'm reluctant to do that now. And I got in trouble myself. So when you see these things on social media where they says, oh, men need to do more. They say not all men, but they don't want to help when we're being attacked. One, it's not always based on truth. Two, you don't know what's gone on previously. Three, you have your own family. So if something happens to you, say if I got locked up now or I got stabbed myself, 
I'm defending someone and, and disadvantaging my own family with my partner, my children. So I always tell men, be reluctant to with that hero cap on because it can lead to serious trouble. And a lot of those women that you save, they're not going to defend you or say, oh, you know what? Oh, he's so terrible. I'm going to go write him a character reference if he goes to prison or he has to go to court. A lot of them, they won't do that. It's just like, oh, you're supposed to because that's how we've been programmed. We must serve women and, and children without no safe spaces for us to talk about our feelings and what we're going through. Or because we're physically stronger, you're just supposed to get on with it like basically like slave labor. This is what I've come to try and rebalance. And it's, it's not very good at the moment. So we need the safe spaces. That's that's part of the thing with Equal Star. Safe spaces, fair justice. Well, I'm not asking for special privileges. I'm just saying disproportionately, we should have more men having a safe space where they can talk about their feelings, where if women make false allegations, yeah, they're not just believed straight away in public, which seems to be the thing now. It's, 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 there's a mantra that I used to come across when I had a little volunteering with women's aid. They used to say, believe all women, men lie. And statistically, that's not correct. That's why you see the rises of people like Jordan Peters and Andrew Tate, because they're trying to push back against that kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. And they're demonizing them for it. I would like love to kind of go back to you know to your childhood and literally what you witnessed um, between your mum, you know, and your dad. What was the turning point for you growing up where he's like, you know what, um, I'm not going to be in the same relationship as my parents. To be fair, I, I, as soon as my mum started to throw his clothes out, I'd say in terms of age, I'd say seven. I always sign the post that seven, seven years old. I said, yeah. I actually told my parents, I said, Mom, if when I grow up, I wouldn't want a, uh, a partner like that if I was a woman. And I said, if I, and as a man, I said, I wouldn't want a partner like you. And that used to upset them. I used to get lashed through. They said, you're cheeky, you're tired, boy. We are tired about. We raise you, we feed you. You're ungrateful. So I used to get all that. And um, I suspect, obviously, without no definitive research, that a lot of people, especially from the African and Caribbean community, went through that. Mm. They went through a lot of those kind of situations. So that's where you get the misogyny to the foundational one. Beginning, it, oh, my mum's beating me, especially if the dad leaves or there's a relationship breakdown. My mum's obviously in our community, physical punishment, corporal punishment, over the top, under pressure at work. They can't bark at their manager, tell their manager anything because they could lose their job. So they come home, take out the children because they're the boss of us. They they rule us. And that's a, this is where you get the foundational misogyny. So I said, how do you deal with that? You can't beat it out of people or criminalise people, push them to the fringes. Because I said, what you do, you suppress it for a time and then you have a big explosion. Mm-hmm. That's it. So you must realise that anyone that's done any kind of counselling psychology you must realise that. So I said, you must have safe spaces for men to have their gripes and their grumbles and express themselves. So that mm-hmm. you can't have it both ways. You say in one minute that we should be cry and be in touch with our feelings. Then you turn around and say, we're not macho, we're not masculine men. Where the manhood is diminished. I said, it does, I don't know how it works. I don't know how you can say that in one breath and say that in another. It's, it's hypocrisy. It's like talking out of both sides of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, when I go into these spaces, they don't like that when I bring these things up. They see me as the, you know, the rebel. Oh, you're talking about, because when I used to volunteer with women, they, they said, oh, I don't say that, sure, because that just leads to more misogyny. I said, what to say that my mother used to beat me with a belt or a curtain wire? I said, and that's a reason for, I said, I, see, I still interact with my mother, but I said, there's probably other boys that grew up and think, you know what, 
I don't want no anyone like that. Oh, women as oppressive force. I said that leads to hatred, or they've gone out and someone's falsely accused them. If they are found guilty, they're thrown what five to fifteen years for assault or worse, and then false allegations. They can make them and they get off scot free. I, I, I'll give you a scenario where women made false allegations, saying about you know great things like that in in the premises or touching. And I used to go and look at the CCTV. I said, listen, while I work here, you won't come back in here. There's even a, a, a situation where there's an Asian girl where um, a Caucasian fella approached her in, in the smoking area so everyone could see. And he said, oh, I like you. So I said, what are we going to be doing tonight? And she said, you'd move from me. So she, he said, why are you saying that? He said, move from me, I'm going to punch you. So he, he laughed her. He just said, go on then. And he put his face towards her. And she gave him, she was a southpaw, she gave him a right cross. And then he got irritable, but he silly, silly, well, to me, was silly. He put, he said, do it again, see what happens. So she hit him again, punched him in front of everyone, and he pushed her over the barricades. Now, when I went over now, I said, what are you doing? Yeah? She's like, oh, he touched me. So I said, you want me to play back the CCTV? You are a liar. I said, for that, while I work here, you'll never come back in here. You'll never come back in there again. So I banned her. I banned her. But the first thing she tried to play on, oh, he touched me inappropriately. He was thing. I said, I was saw what was going on. You're you're serious. Mm. And that, that, to be fair, some people say, why didn't you call the police on her? I said, no, no. Our community, which to be fair, I think I was wrong for now. I said, our community, we don't really deal with police. I don't want to get no one into trouble and the next minute is, oh yes, they're locking her up for these things. But that's at the time I thought when I look back now, I said that maybe I should have because too many women get away with that. I had it even with our head doorman there. Someone, another Asian woman said, Yeah, he 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 basically shouting with full of chest about rape. Yeah. So I said, hmm? You sure about that? I said, I watched you. You went in the cubicle. And you was there trying to get narcotics from one of the things in the in the and we threw you out. And then you come with them thing. Uh, to be fair, that head doorman. About a month later, let her back in. And I was grumbling. I said, I don't know how you let her back in. So that's when I said, you know what? Maybe we need to talk about these things more. And that's what men are doing now. I noticed they're reporting domestic abuse more, physical abuse more, domestic violence more. But what they do, as you know, culturally, yo, you're a man. Take it. Stop being a wimp. If you don't like it, move out. And you know, men are, men are that are family oriented, reluctant to do that once they've got children. Just like they say women stay because they're scared, men stay because they're scared as well. And physical strength does not equate to mental strength. Or if they're placid, I've seen people feel Adonai physically, but would never be really aggressive. So I said, you get people like that. And obviously when they love them as well, that complicates things to where they say, you know what, let me show patience. I'm physically stronger. So I will just take it like a punch bag. And this is what goes on. And so then this is what you're leading to Increasing male suicide, increasing male domestic abuse. And then when you even look in terms of, you know, when they say, oh, violence against women and girls, the whole policy is to protect female children. So, so what, where about, what about the boys that are abused? You see what I mean? So I said, if you really cared about children, wouldn't it be all children? And in these spaces, the breeze, there's loads of that. Marginalised. Oh, well, it's, dis it's just disposable, isn't it? I mean, one woman told me about, oh, why would you have a male child? That's a walking abortion. All they're going to do is grow up and subjugate you. These are the kind of things that they're saying in these spaces when the cameras stop rolling. 
because as I went along at first when I started campaigning, I used to do volunteering around um, the fam Royal Family Courts of Justice. They had a campaign to have more transparency in the family courts. And because of you know the situation with my eldest son, I said, yeah, that would be good because then the press could come in and scrutinize judges that make jacked up decisions based on gynocentrism, basically favoring females because culturally they must look after the mother and we must be the breadwinner. Yeah. So I said, yeah, that'd be great because then we could expose them because family courses around a lot of secrecy. You can't report on, especially when children involved. You can't because of the age restriction, unless it's in the public interest or something might happen like Jamie Bolger or like Baby P. They're not, they're reluctant to give names or expose what's going on there. So I said, when you've got people self-regulating and got discretionary powers to overlook laws, what do you think is going to happen? That is, again, a pathway to misogyny because they're thinking, I've tried to do the right thing, use the system to get my children or access to my children, and I'm being blocked based on false allegations that go unpunished. And then when I get enforcement orders, there's no teeth to them because the resident parents, which is usually the mothers, will turn around and say, no, I don't want them to see them. Or they're not paying enough money so they can't see them. Things like that. So when I saw that and I said, yeah, this is great. I'm going to join with women's there because they said they seem to be balanced. After I've done a bit of protesting with them and I befriended some of the, the key workers in the management, some of them were activists, even in parliament. When the cameras used to stop rolling, they'd be like, yeah, flipping, bumbling idiot. He's like a Homer Simpson. Oh, men can't multitask. They're, they're aggressive. I don't like them. What are they doing in here? It's, apart from the, the money, what else do they bring? They can't do DIY anymore. If the, and I just say, huh? you're saying these things. But I said, if it was men saying these things, you'd be telling them misogynists. So that's when I discovered the word misandry. So I said, basically, you're promoting misandry because of historical slights and gripes with your current partners. So how does that work? Mm. Oh, be quiet, Sean. Be quiet. I don't want to fall out of you. This is what one particular one told me. A lady called Rachel was. I said, yeah, be quiet, Sean. You're starting to pee me off. I said, and you're not. So I stopped, I stopped volunteering a thing with them and I realised, I said, you know what, trying to be through all that with the, oh, they're suffering, damsel in distress, it's so terrible. What are we going to do? I said, yeah, I've got to find a way to kind of justify it. So that's what made me call my my thing with the CIC, unincorporated, equal stock. I said, I deal with facts and figures. We help men, mostly because obviously I'm a man, but we also help women that have been disadvantaged. So I said, that way they can never turn around and say, oh, you know, you're being biased or you're a closet misogynist. So that, yeah, that's what's inspired me to do, to do that. I would like, you know, love to get your opinion about when men have a lot of kin kids, they're called kings. And when women have a lot of kids, they are called a different name. I would literally love to kind of get your opinion on how this stereotype has come about and how we are, or what we can do to change it. Now, to be fair, again, that's another cultural thing that's been cultivated for, for centuries. Obviously, this is where I do agree with some of the female activists. A lot of it is patriarchal control and making sure they have, you know, resources around, you know, breeding and taking on their seed, propagating their seed, should I say. And because um, a lot of women growing up in that, there's a lot of women that's kind of support that as well. Because when I was at, I'm sure, maybe we're actually, I'm not sure, but maybe you went through it at school as a sixth form. When I started out in this love business romance, when I didn't have much ladies, I didn't get much ladies. They used to think, oh, he's a bit of a square, he plays football with 
Asian and white boys all the time, plays table tennis still, drinks. When we go out partying, he drinks, you know, fizzy drink. I wasn't drinking liquor. So people used to laugh at me. Yeah. <laughs> when <laughs> I moved on, when I moved on now and done the, the bad boy persona and started to do my version of womanizing, they turned around and said, oh, all of a sudden I was getting more females. So it's not just a man thing. It's women as well. They Through their behaviours, they encourage all that. So I said, you, you can't. If you're going to do that, what's good for the goose is going to be good for the gander. Then we have to make better choices and decisions, isn't it? That's what happens. You have to make better choices and decisions. And it's got to be a culture thing because a lot of people are like that. Men struggle to gain sex legitimately if they're not a certain way, it seems to be, from what my experience. So obviously, uh, there's no studies on that. But... When you've got women like that saying, oh, well, you know, he's a bit different. He's a bit odd. He reads science fiction books. He's 18, 19. They're like, hmm? I don't want someone like that. And then they're seeing people running around in, in, in the street life, maybe, you know, a bit of delinquency, criminality, and they're like, oh, they'd rather, rather that. Then they have, especially at school, I noticed that a lot of them had a propensity to go and deal with men three to five years older than them when we were at school. So with some of the girls, the highlights, the top girls would be like with 21, 20 year olds when they were 15, 16, I said, mm. and I would never get looking. So these these are the things what happens. And then obviously they eat with that kind of experience, they can easily be manipulated. And then a lot of them see that as just, just a way of life when they get used to that behavior. And with sex being a, a thing where women provide the gatekeepers to it and we're the gatekeepers of relationship. This is where I agree with a lot of the male activists in the manosphere. It's harder for us to gain casual sex. Women, it, it, it's, not, it's not as difficult. So that's why you get the disparity. So because we have to work harder for it or, you know, finesse and play the game a bit more than they do, that's why they say you've got more value because obviously high-hanging fruit is harder to reach. Low-hanging fruit, easy to take. So that's why we're seen as, you know, the person that is doing well and, Thing when we have different children, women, um, children with different women, yeah, because they said it's more difficult for us to do that. Where women, they can just swing as long as they're alive and breathing. Certain men, they don't care. So that's why you get that thing that we're we're dons, we're we're doing well, we're we're the leader, of the pack, and women are, are less so. Mm -hmm. And it's gone on for for millennia. It's not just a, a normal phenomenon, and that's going to take centuries to transform. Which I know they're trying to do that now. We're saying, oh, well, men can be, you know, promiscuous as well. And it's not good, which is true. It's not good because when you've got children in different homes, if there's any kind of relationship breakdown or there's loss of contact, we've divided ourselves all over the place. Our finances, which unless you're a billionaire, how are you going to afford all that? Yeah. You have to find alternative housing. So you have to be looking after yourself still, eating to survive while looking after a train load of children that you don't live with you. So it makes it a lot harder financially. So... But men, as men, we where we're wayward, we seem to do that still, which is, doesn't happen as much as people say. Most people ain't doing that because if that was so, we'd have a world population that's double of what it is now. You know what I mean? So they, they take certain subcategories and people in society that do that and then demonize them. But as a population in England, as you know, we're geriatric. We now got more people that are above 50 than that are under 30. So... As that goal is happening, we have a dwindling workforce and people having less children. Because look, 
my parents, my grandparents had what between them 12. My parents only had three, and I've only got three. And they tell you statistically now that the average household now is one point what six two children. So mm-hmm. you obviously can't have half a children. So basically two households, and it's dwindling fast, and people are delaying having children later because of the finance, the cost of living, and the the, the lack of ability to buy assets, housing, property with the money that we earn because of inflation. So even though these things happen, it's a diminishing trend. It doesn't happen nowhere near as much as it used to be. I would love to get your opinion about relationships because I just feel that um, getting into a relationship is is the easiest thing to do and there's no vetting process. With me, from my experiences, I always tell people character and the values above, you know, any kind of physical aspect or material aspect. Because if you don't do that, I said, you, 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 you're looking for a shipwreck. It's like, well, like when I was in my mid 20s, I had a friend that I went six form with. And he just said, Oh, Sean, you need to get nicer women than what you're getting. I said, hmm? What are you talking about? And I said, Don't you think character and values play a part of if you're looking to have a long term relationship? No, 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 no. That doesn't make me, that doesn't, you know, stir my nature. It doesn't arouse my loins. So why am I going to do that? It took him until we were 38 to finally one day come to me and say, You know what, Sean, he's right. You know, after he'd been through the wars with the constant breakups and the casual flings and the, the emotional distress, the emotional psychological scarring. And it took him that age. I said, if that, and this is a man that's gone to university, come from a stable home. So I said, if he's thinking like that, what does the lay person or someone that hasn't had his upbringing think? Emotionally, if people, um, from my experience, they don't, they're not, they're, they're into, if they're good at, like say, education, academic, or or they're serious workers or enterprise. There's always some kind of dysfunction, and usually when they're like that, when they exceed in them, well, excel in them areas, they're usually deficient when it comes to interpersonal relationships. What they need to look for, what they desire, because that's the conflict. What you like to what is good for you, and it's all for this elusive connection and this passion. And I said, yeah, but that always wanes. When I had my versions of what my friend said was, you know, top looking women, yeah. It's very rare that I found a character compatible with me over the long term. So it would never last more than three or four months. So the way, the way I see, even though, you know, I've had a few women over the years, I only really had two serious relationships. And that was both with the, the mother of my children. So mothers of my children. So that's, 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 a, that's a big thing. Because I said, you cannot try and make a relationship with people that are incompatible with you when they don't share the same values, the same vision, say, and, and similar character traits. I said, over the long haul, it just won't work. Or you'll be at constant odds with the bickering and the argument and the abuse from both sides. I would love to get your opinion about um, how our young black brothers are killing each other on the streets. Uh, oh, and yeah. and uh, literally how like that is affecting the next generation. And, uh, and literally how like they are communicating with you know um their girlfriends their partners their parents and their peers mm. as well um with the knife crime i was talking about this fast funny, funny enough the other day um Dwayne lear from the baby father podcast and he put out something where he had two um interviewees come on yes and they were like oh look it's, it's out of hand and i thought you know what when i was young 
I don't see that happening really. Because I remember just look at people in the street and say, what are you looking at? And we'd fight. Mm-hmm. Obviously not always knife crime, but you know, punch ups and things like that. Then I said, the Operation Trident started with, like when we were in our early 20s. So I told people, I said, you see all this thing about Operation? So that is like from the early noughties. So I said, and that was when it was real bad. I said, I remember with Harsden at the time was, and Stonebridge with the gun capital of, of Europe. So I said, is it really that bad? I said, especially when we got more CCTV now and people game, like like where I was young, once you got to like above 19, no one really gamed. They'd say, oh, you're a geek and things like that. You're neat. Now I've seen people my age in their 40s gaming hard and not spending time with their partners. So I said, and we, we work more. There's more monitoring. So I said, I doubt that. So I said, you know what? Let's go and look on the Office of National Statistics and the Crime Survey for England and Wales. Since 2003, when I was 22, violent crime has dropped by 40%. So the way I see it, there's a lot of propaganda on the press. And then they take bad, severe bad situations and make it into a fair thing. Like, oh, you've got to be careful. It's bad and things like that. Even, for instance, where I grew up. When I grew up in the early 90s, late 80s in Stockholm, Park Estate, you couldn't go into Coal Berlin, Electric Avenue at night drunk or your jury out you'd be robbed you'd be whooped or murdered i mean when i lived in Stockholm, there was a child my age that got killed and thrown in the one of the dustbins in shoot house i couldn't believe it he's on the itn i said my word i said mom that's downstairs then things don't happen that often now <laughs> and then obviously when i was done the research i said this is the truth he's dropped by 40 percent of violent crime so when i was young people used to steal cars no one ain't doing that again yeah there's no yeah, joy right now. he's dropped off it's all. It's like it's. It's almost like scaremongering, especially when there's problems economically with government and that. They said, you know, we've got to distract the people. It's terrible out there. Be careful. You know what's happening. It's like even one um, Caucasian colleague, female, when she said the other day about, oh, she's fearful walking down the street. I said, you sure that's not of yourself? I said, whenever you actually been attacked, oh, never. But I wouldn't talk to a man at night. I said, I can understand because you're being prudent, but that's not based on reality, is it? Because you've never been attacked. And you read a lot of newspapers, you see the news and things like that. So that you people can't control your fear. You can only control your own. I said that I feel, as I got older, I feel less fearful going out and everything, even when I'm by myself. Like yesterday, I went to Waterloo with my one leg on the crutch. Obviously, I'm not in the best of shape. I could easily be attacked. Or when I take my wallet to go through the underground, someone could say I couldn't run after them because I can't run at the moment. Yeah, no one's so, gonna attack you, Sean. No one's gonna attack you. Yeah, yeah no, but you're obviously, six no, seven, bro. You're at six foot seven. No one's gonna attack you. Yeah, yeah, no, but you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. It's, it, remember, you, as you know, size size is good for psychological deterrent, but it's not when you get a mixer. That's the only time you know if someone's serious. But with this lady, say, look, you've never been attacked. You're reading a lot of press. It, the the fear factor. I said, you, I showed you the figures. What said the domestic abuse. And violence against women and girls peaked in 1995. I showed her the line graph. I said, look, the crime survey for England and Wales. I showed her. I said, even though it's, it's a bit a couple of years out of date now, because the latest figures that I have in the research I had was 2021. But I said, that's unlikely. And I said, and the trend, as you can see, there's been things where it's jumped a bit, like just before lockdown, and when the Mark Duggan writes in 2011, 2017, 2018, where it jumped a bit, but then it's gone back down again. It spiked. But usually around recessions and obviously civil strife. You go on the Office of National Statistics, it will show you from 2003, the trend has been down, 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 down for all types of crime, apart from 
like you know fraud cyber crime things like that that's gone up that's what people are doing now pretending like they're on whatsapp oh do you want investment opportunity send me your bank details let me empty empty your crypto wallet send me your keys because i can give you an airdrop of you know digital tokens that's what is happening that's what's increasing but things that we grew up with dropping all the way down but the way they market in the mainstream press that's why i have to talk to people like you the mainstream press when i send in these things it's not like they don't know but they don't want it to go out there because it's like it's like um colonialism divide and conquer keep us squabbling for the the shekels and the crumbs us amongst ourselves they said you're doing this you're doing that you're racist you're misogynist you're misandrist Oh, I'm upset. I can't have a decent. I can't find a, job, a better job while they're creaming the money and living the best life. And that's something I've seen from when I was a youngster at Lambeth College all the way up to now to my early forties. It's thing that it's it's a serious. But what they do, they don't they don't have these things publicly declared on me mainstream media because it's part of a narrative of control. That's why I'm glad for platforms like yours because these things can be discussed without bias. And you say, look, look at the facts and then you make your own judgment. That's what I always tell people. Say, look, don't just listen to one side. Listen to both sides. Do a bit of research. Find out if it's true and then make a judgment. I said, I know we're under pressure these days for instant judgments, snap judgments, which we have to do because obviously not everything can be weighed, measured, quantified, things like that. And and a lot of it has to be based on personal and adult experience. Yeah? But I said... There's a massive country out there. Well, we're not massive, but, you know, there's a 70 million people out there. So I said, if you really think it's that bad, how, how is the population growing? So, I mean, how do we have so many people? He said, that's not the case. These things are minorities happening, catchment areas, small pockets, and there's always context to the, these things. What's going on socioeconomically? What kind of family background they come from? What's their IQ like? Do they have a conscience? These things affect these 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 data where it's just numbers on a sheet. So I said, you can't criminalize and lock up people and, and kill them over it. You have to find some kind of therapeutic way. But I've noticed that a lot of them are not, not really interested. They're not really interested. You've got the tokenism where they said, oh, we'll, do, we'll give you a bit of funding here. Like with the mayor's office I went to in September. And they told me there's a strengthening father's violent reduction unit. And I said, you're operating at a context deficit, though. You're basically saying that you're retraining men to not be aggressive. I said, surely you should be honing that. Testosterone is a natural feature of a, an, an average man, well, the most men. So I said, how can you then say, oh, you know what, because you've got aggressive, they said, that, that doesn't mean that everyone is going to be, you know, criminally violent or attack people. Said there's got but there's got to be outlets for it like youth services, sports, boxing, mixed martial arts. Encourage more people than that. Maybe national service. Said this is how you do. You cannot sanitize these things. You can't. That's like saying, oh, you're going to remove estrogen from from women, and said, oh, you need to be more masculine because you're going to be the mother and the father now, and you need to be the breadwinner as well as work work be a, a child rearer. It, it doesn't work like that. It depends on the person. And like I said, these things that happen, they're a minority in terms of society as a whole. And they know this. But that's not how they report it on, on the news. Even the other day, I had a complaint against BBC where they put in a thing about, oh, women are running away abroad because they're frightened and being um, harassed by their abuser. 
uh, when I look at the stats, their own stats, not me, ones that I've created. This is what other people have put out there and research. So I said, why are you not actually shining the truth then? If that's not the case, these are a minority of cases. And how do you know what they're saying is true when there's no criminal record around this? It's basically allegations. Look, look at the other day, for instance, we'll go football. Benjamin Mendy, remember the case? I remember it well. I, I, it was so bad. I started to believe he'd done it as well because I, I was talking with Kayla. I said, you know what? So many coming out and saying it now. There must be some kind of smoke. Yeah? If he didn't keep the footage on his phone of what went on, he would have been finished. And what's his reward? Man City's got rid of him. And he's what? Where's he playing now? In France? Again? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I said, look, he's ruined it. The way they dripped him down and said he's in a. Uh, a sorter, he's an abuser, he's a he's a great piece. You see what I mean? They will turn around and said, Oh, well, where's the fanfare about you know saying he was innocent and it was a false allegation? That that woman that done that has not even been locked up. Perjury in court supposed to come with five years sentencing for perjury, lying in court. And she's walking scot-free. So I said, when people when men see that, what do you think is gonna happen? They said, look, I tried to do the right thing. I tried to go down the court process. I'm in problems. I tried to go down the court institutional process with my kids, family courts. Uh, contact's broken. Can't enforce contact. You won't lock them up each, even though by the law, if there's refusal to have contact with their fathers and the mother blocks it, they're supposed to serve a custodial sentence or transfer residency to the dads. Even though they say, to be fair, most dads say they don't want the day-to-day care. But I said, the ones that do, why can't I have them? And they're safe. You see, again, gynocentrism from politicians, from judges, from mainstream rep- journalist reporters. If you constantly just punishing for misdeeds, you create frustration, yeah? And rebellion where they think, you know what? I'm against the system. I've been labelled now as a criminal. It's going to affect me the rest of my life. So you harden them. So I said, there has to be a balance. Carrot with the stick. The silk glove with the iron fist. He said, that's what you need. But he's like, no, 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 Sean, violence against women and girls, this is what we're about. I said, yeah, but you're a man. So I said, if you was a thing of, say, the false allegation, say, for instance, that lady that um, killed uh, the eight babies, Lucy Letby. I noticed when the press reported on that first, they said, what could drive such a nice woman to do such a thing? How much people came out, oh, there's mental health issues there. I feel so sorry for her. There was no none of that venom and condemnation. She's killed eight children. Then I looked into it again, Tabriz. Infant side. Killing of children under one. Who do you think are the biggest killers of children under one? Have a guess. Women? Yeah. I always suspected that from when I was young, but obviously there was no research around it. But over the last five years, I found it. Said, we've got politicians like Jess Phillips from the Labour Party talking about how much women die a year, reading out their names in Parliament every year since 2016. I said, what about the children? I think? So if, we're, if men are more of a threat to children, why are there more men killing children than women? Why is it when, like, say, for instance, when I used to get beaten by my mother, no one pulls them up? It's just always, oh, it's discipline for miscreant and boisterous boys, they need it. But I said, if we were to do that now, it'd be World War Three. So how does that even work? They said these things have to be balanced. They said you're 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 create the prejudice that we try to destroy 
by creating a welfare state and social housing and single parent benefits for resident parents, which is mostly women. Yeah. And then you're not doing the same for men unless they have their children full time. Said so that that doesn't make sense. They said you, you're creating an imbalance. And when there's imbalance, there's going to be hatred. There's going to be people that rebel. There's going to be revolutionists. This is what happens. This is well known. It's a pattern throughout history. I said, we're so busy with our day-to-day lives, going to work, you know, breakfast, doing what, a little enterprise, looking for our kids, and they're not looking at the big picture and historical proof of what happens when you have injustice. Let's talk about football. You, you like, briefly mentioned that, you know, uh, you, you, like, played football at a decent level. Um, what was your biggest takeaway um, in your football journey, football career? In terms of progress and development or why I never made it to the big time? You know, this is your stage. You can take it wherever you want to. Um, with me, I reckon from between 9 and 15, I used to eat, sleep and breathe football. So when I got to the semi-pro level, I was already already a bit wary about the the, the, the kind of grueling, you know, training, having to travel on train to go and play in Essex and Dulwich and all over, you know, the southeast area. And then I stopped enjoying training from about 90, especially when I got my little part-time job at Royal Mail sorting letters. And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm getting little money. It pays more than the semi-pro. I said, plus I'm going to college, do my A-levels. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm not really, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a thing with the training. So for years, it used to haunt me. I used to get upset. When I got to about 20 to 27, I made peace with it. I said, look, Sean, if you had the same kind of get up and go like you had between 9 and 15, you might, I would have had a better chance of making it. But you stopped training, you started going out, you had a few girls, you had a little part-time job, you were studying. So it wasn't so thing about, because you had options, you weren't so hungry for it anymore. So I'd say that's the main thing. Because obviously, people have played semi-pro for years, like Ian Wright and Les Ferdinand, and never make it to the big time today in their mid-20s. And you still get that with people like, say, Jamie Vardy. You see? He went from non-league to Leicester, and then he won the Premier League title with me. Five years to be the top flight. It's, it's you. So then things are possible. Then things are possible. But I was thinking, yeah, it's unlikely. Logically, it's unlikely. I've got options. I've got my education. I've got a nice girl. I'm, I'm making more money from sorting letters than I'm from kicking ball. And that was that way. I said I don't get no injuries or get clumped on the weekend. You know, playing in the, the, the dead end. You know, muddy. <laughs> you know, suit pitches. So yeah, yeah. I think that was the biggest thing. To be fair. Mm. 